Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to another week of the Dividend Cafe podcast and video. I'm uh, recording here in the studio in our Newport Beach office, and it's been it's been quite a week. Not only quite a week. Um, in the markets, but I, it's just been, you know, uh, uh, abnormally um, crazy week all, all around. And so abnormally crazy for me means crazy in a way you wouldn't really believe because every week's pretty crazy uh, for for us and for me personally. But this has just been one of those. And that's good. That's fine. I will be uh, back in New York City next week, uh, flying out here this weekend. But um, I wanted to talk today uh, about a particular theme, and then it kind of has a couple investment applications, um, which is just sort of this moment in in history. And I actually do talk a lot in Dividend Cafe. I write a lot about history, about past events, the lessons that we extract from them into the future. So it's nothing new. It's nothing profound. It's, it, it is profound in the sense that I believe all of the stuff that we try to talk about from history, I did a 9-11 retrospective a few weeks ago, and I've done an uh, extraordinary amount of work over the years from the financial crisis. Um, I believe at the one-year mark of the COVID collapse, we, we dug into some of those things. You know, there is this uh, kind of personality defect I have of being hyper-nostalgic, both around good and bad events. But, but um, it, 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 that's just how I'm wired, and that's not really ever going to change. Um, but then I also believe that there's an incredible amount of utility that we get as investors from understanding things from the past. And there's an incredible danger from not doing so, that there's at least a context and and a, a kind of uh, package of information that's available from past events that can help inform the way we view things in the present and, and preparing and in, in for the future. But But this is a little bit different, what I'm referring to this week. In that it's not just another kind of, for those of you who don't share my love of history and my appreciation for learning from the past and in the sort of emotional nostalgia, um, you may be kind of rolling your, your eyes like, oh, another, you know, one of these. But I actually think there's a few data points from a particular moment in time in the past that we can contrast to these same data points now and get a really compelling lesson out of this and, and at least some motivation in terms of the, the need of the hour, the urgency of the present predicament, and uh, get a better feel for what the behavioral risks are that people might be subject to with one extreme and the other that can become very problematic for their successful achievement of their financial goals. And so what, what had happened this week was the um, Strategus Research is one of the macro research firms that um, I am a incredibly diligent consumer of. Uh, we are institution we are an institutional client of Strategus Research, um, and over the years since I became very fond of their work product, um, I've developed a relationship with a lot of the key analysts and and thought leaders in their firm, including their founder Jason Trennert. But um, he wrote, he started the firm, uh, Jason, as is the case of a number of the leading macro uh, economists and, and uh, macroeconomic uh, publishers and thought leaders in our business, had a background at um, 
ISI, which was a large institutional research firm, ended up being bought by Evercore. And I will tell you that um, Jason went out on his own at a really interesting time and started his own firm, something obviously I have a fondness for because I was um, a pretty senior guy at Morgan Stanley in the wealth management world that left and started his own firm. And um, Jason started his in 2006, 15 years ago, and he wrote a piece just sort of his own personal reflections on his 15-year journey so far, where they were in 06, where they are now. And and I won't bore you with all that, although it wasn't boring for me. I'm, I'm fascinated by those kind of stories, and I loved reading his piece and very proud of what they've done, and I'm very blessed to be a client of theirs. Um, however, there was a, a portion in which he was looking at just kind of where some things in the world were 15 years ago, and that's why I'm wearing my my reading glasses, because I want to be able to read you some of these things that I think are just fascinated. I mean, we know, first of all, I'll make a, a point in time here. When you look at the last 15 years, okay, 2021 minus 15 gets you 2006. And you have to remember, 2006 was before the financial crisis. Now, barely, you know, so much time has now gone by. 06 was five years past 9-11, but it was still two years before the kind of crux of the financial crisis. And it was one year before the original leakage that became the financial crisis, which was the crack of subprime. Uh, it was the fall of 2007 that the CDX broke and subprime kind of began its you know unwinding. And then eventually into 2008, we had the fall of Bear Stearns, eventually the fall of Fannie and Freddie, and then, of course, Lehman Brothers. And then at that point is when all hell broke loose and we ended up with TARP and so forth and so on. But to think about this, that like we're st- 15 years – the, you know, you have the financial crisis a couple of years later. The COVID moment now was at the other bookend of this. And and you have a Dow that 15 years ago was at 11,400. And now is at 35,000. And it's 11,400 to 35,000 with a almost 50% drop from there. Uh, from, because, from the, you know, moments of, of 2008. So it really is kind of extraordinary um, what all has happened in financial markets in the last 15 years and it's just by starting with the equity level. But then you think, okay, well, all of this stuff has taken place and, and, and I'm going to get the ones that have not changed out of the way to make a point. Uh, oil prices were $70 15 years ago. They're $70 right now. And oil got up to uh, well over a hundred, and and it came down. Even apart from COVID, it came down into the the forties. Then at the COVID moment, where Saudi and Russia decided to to go off off of their thing, uh, obviously oil got even much lower, and we were at risk at one point of having the potential of sustained ten dollar oil if we had that collapse of demand met with a flood of supply, and kind of some cooler heads prevailed there, but. Oil going from 70 to 70 does ignore the fact that it was up 50% and down over 50% along the way. Um, But I want you to listen to some of these other statistics to think about what I do not consider to be ancient history and where we are today and how absolutely fascinating it is for you as an investor, for you as a citizen, uh, an adult member of society, an actor in this economy. But then you can imagine... For from our vantage point, running money 15 years ago, running 
a portfolio for a client, making decisions about risk and reward, and and, and now here we are today. Um, and 15 years ago, you had a Fed funds rate that was at over 5%, and it's at 0% today. Um, you had a 10-year Treasury bill that was 4.8%, and, and even that was way lower than at various points, of course, it had been in recent history. It's at 1.3% now. Um, imagine being really overly confident in an inflation thesis in 2006, now, I wouldn't want to have had an inflation thesis in 06. Well, housing prices were going through the roof. We'd come off of the – we were at the very end innings. We didn't know it at the time. We're in the final inning of uh, housing appreciation that you know became the bubble and the burst and all of those things. But um, y- there were plenty of reasons for people to be talking about inflationary pressures there. And then here you are 15 years later with oil prices flat and – and bond yields have utterly collapsed. Um, just anecdotally, because it's fun. The average life expectancy for a male uh, was 75.2 15 years ago. It's 75.1 now. So it's actually kind of stayed about the same, gone down a little. The, when I say kind of fun, I shouldn't say that because the reason for it is kind of sad. Uh, it's entirely uh, related to the big increase in o- opioid use and, and drug use and various quality of life related issues of uh, depression and mental health. Um, but then um, the female average life expectancy has gone from 80.3 to 80.5. Um, so there's a lot, you know, in the social social and cultural dynamic that we're not talking about here that has taken place as well. But the budget deficit, okay, the, the, the amount that we were spending that was greater than the amount we were bringing in, in 2006, and this was considered an astronomical number at the time, and we were well into the midst of two very expensive wars, probably uh, past peak expenditures in the Afghanistan war, but not even yet at the surge, let alone peak expenditures in the Iraq war. And the budget deficit was $269 billion. Here we are today, no wars, and the budget deficit this year is $2.8 trillion. So we've gone up over 10 times in a given year where we were 15 years ago. Uh, there was $8.5 trillion of national debt 15 years ago. There is $28.5 trillion now. Um, credit spreads have not moved a lot. The triple B bond category, which is kind of the lowest rate of quality of the not junk category. So we like using that because it sort of captures some low quality and yet still decent quality to kind of give you a little bit more universal look at credit spreads. They're 125 basis over 25. Uh, excuse me, 125 basis points over, and they're 107 now. So if anything, there's been a little bit of tightening, but pretty pretty similar. The Fed had less than one trillion dollars on its balance sheet, and meaning the amount of bonds that they had bought, um, and they now have over eight trillion. And the S and P was trading at 14 times earnings. So it was a little bit below. It's 30-year average. It's trading at 22 times earnings now. Um, and, and then because the readers of Div Cafe are getting this information, I think it's important I share it with you on the podcast and the video as well. But in 2006, USC was the number one team in the country, and they're not even ranked right now. And, of course, so six, we were number one in the country at this point in the regular season, but we weren't even – it was actually a little bit past. We won the Rose Bowl in 06, 07, and 08. 
but we were winning national championships in 03 and 04 and, and almost in, in 05. So, you know, my point being 15 years ago, it was like this absolute gory day period of SC and here we are. Okay. So, so what is my point with all this? Well, I think that um, when you – all this data captures a lot of things that I want to talk about and a lot of things I talk about all the time. The reality of the increases taking place in debt and the reality of the increases taking place in the Federal Reserve as an active uh, intervening entity in the, in the economy. And, and at the same time, what I haven't captured with some of those data points is – the wonderful things that have happened. You know, we have had a difficult 20-year start to this dec- to this century. And, and you have had financial crises. You have had government debt explode. You have had the global pandemic. Um, however, the breakthroughs we've seen medically, I'll highlight some of them, from, from 3D body parts, uh, certainly the immunotherapy, um, additions to cancer treatment, um, the various additions of treatment, not only out of vaccines and particularly vaccines in this pandemic moment, um, and 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 but also um, with HIV uh, treatments that are available in various aspects of skin care of diabetes, um, the the progress that's been made in 15 years in heart valves has completely totally changed the world. Uh, gene therapy technology, hepatitis C, um, in such an incredibly short period of time, we have blown out government debt by almost 400%. And in such an incredibly short period of time, we have um, uh, changed the world and are still changing the world with various medical and health care breakthroughs. And then, and then, you know, some of these things are he- I hesitate to bring because I think some people could say that some of these things have brought on a negative as well. And I'm well aware of, you know, the, the negative side of social media, what it's done, I think, culturally to a lot of our political discourse. Um, but certainly when you think about the fact that iPhone didn't, wasn't even at market 15 years ago and the evolution in personal amenities, convenience, quality of life, ease and comfort, ride sharing – food delivery, um, various things that, that now are, are, for a lot of people, taking, care, uh, taking for granted. They can't imagine going back. And for a lot of people, they don't know what they'd be going back to because it's all they've known. That, you know, this sort of uh, avalanche of, of ease, convenience, and, and really what by any historical measure would be considered just abject luxury that people live in, both as a result of technology and various quality of life enhancing um, toys and, and, and services. Um, it, it, it's surreal. You know, e-commerce, our, our wait times, the, the uh, digital conveniences brought about by the cloud, which was basically in infant stages then. Um, you know, the economic productivity boost is unfathomable. And so I kind of created this little spreadsheet, uh, excuse me, cheat sheet, and just said, innovation, unbelievable, medicine, technology, modern amenities, the entrepreneurialism, that DNA of growth, of achievement, profit-making activities that enhance someone's quality of life, all of these things by any objective measure over the last 15 years 
off the charts good. And I and I think most would consider that we're headed towards more good times ahead in those categories, more growth, more scientific breakthroughs, more um, quality of life enhancing developments. But then you look over the last 15 years, not to mention project into the future, um, debt levels, spending, um, uh, the dependency that the economy has on the Federal Reserve and the various uh, economic instability that is created by such a uh, uh, prominent role of a central bank, our political dysfunction, our social cohesion, I think you score all those negatively. And so the point I kind of want to make for you as an investor is that you're living in a period of time where it is totally irrational to be blindly and universally and naively optimistic about everything. And you're living in a period of time where it is totally dangerous to be universally and blindly pessimistic about everything. That there is, my friend John Malden likes to say that he is long humanity and short government. And I think that's a that's a, a framework that I'm very comfortable with, that I'm very fond of. I understand it. But even if, if one um, has a lower view of humanity or a higher view of government than guys like John and I might have, you can at least understand the push-pull that he's getting to. That there are certain things that you kind of have to feel optimistic about and certain things you kind of have to feel pulled the other way. And, and yet with an investor... If you say, I, I want, you know, five units of risk and five units of anti-risk, you have a portfolio that has provided you no risk and, and no reward. And, and so kind of capturing the right blends of risk and reward in a portfolio, it, when we have this sort of view of society um, and this view of recent history as well as expectations for the short-term future, mid-term future, whatever it may be, it's very difficult. I think investing right now is tricky. And that's not because things are difficult. It's because things are not difficult. Volatility has been incredibly low. Um, valuations have gone from high to higher. You have a very low dispersion of returns, meaning most things are behaving in concert with one another. And why is that a good thing? It's not a good thing for money managers. It's not a good thing for value-added but it is a risk reducer in that you have very little chance of getting your selection wrong because everything's kind of going up together. And even if things go down, they all go down together. Now, generally that dispersion won't, won't last. Uh, the dispersion will come back, I mean, the low dispersion won't last. Um, but you know, we, we have incredibly low bond yields at a time when people are talking about how worried they are about inflation. We have earnings growth uh, that is outperforming expectation at a time when people are talking about high price earnings ratios, high multiples, profit margins continuing to grow. And then and then you look at the reality of equity investing. Think of our best and brightest in our society, the best companies, the best future companies, the best talent, the best managers and operators and creators. And companies are waiting longer than ever to go public. They generally are going public into a period of time where their peak percentage growth years might be behind them, not in front of them, which was incomprehensible um, when I was growing up in the business and in the initial phase of dot-com and whatnot. 
you have about a thousand less listed public com- publicly listed companies now than we did 15 years ago. You have greater assets and opportunities in private equity than ever. Why is that? Because more and more companies want to stay private. Um, they they want the less troublesome uh, arena of, um, of of public markets. So I think that. Um, there's plenty to say is good for the world of equity investing and plenty to say is not. And, and, and then I look back to the basics on where we are. And, and, and I think, okay, dividends are going to make up, uh, or as of right now, about 9% of the total return that the, that the S&P has had. So whatever the S&P is up, 90% of it came from price gains and, 10, and less than 10% came from dividends. And yet dividends have averaged just shy of 50% going back pretty much 100 years. It's a little, a little less than that. Um, that is just not sustainable, my friends. And the notion that in the environment we're in, we want to disconnect from the mathematical and economic historical reality of the contribution of cash payments to an investor's return uh, strikes me as incredibly dangerous. Um, you look at the, the troublesome things that come up. And earlier this week, we had a Monday where the market went down 970 points intraday, closed down 630. And now as I'm sitting here talking Friday, the market's actually up and up a pretty decent little amount on the week. And this is not the first time this has happened this year. Um, and in some cases, it happened, you know, back-to-back days, let alone over the course of three, four, five days. And, and I think that this is something you have to look at as a concern, not as a good thing. People saying, oh, look, every time the market goes down, it comes right back. That's great. There are people that are right now forgetting the historical reality that intra-year moves that are not 2% or 4% as this last one got. You know, I think we were down about 2% in the S&P over the last few weeks. And then we were down 2% Monday. So we got down about four in the Dow, S&P, then rebounded right off of that within a couple of days. That's not normal. And we've done it a ton of times. And maybe the next time things get shaky, that'll happen again. But people on one hand can say this is this resilience and it's optimistic and we can't hold a good market down. On the other hand, you say, are, how many people own stock right now? that have never experienced a 10% drop, let alone a bear market, a 20% drop, let alone one of the real big ones, the 30s and 40s, you know, the COVIDs and the financial crises and the 9-11s and all these more severe drawdowns. How many people have never seen bond yields move much higher and seen their safe money take a mark-to-market correction? So I think there's historical lessons that are both in their conclusion, producing optimistic and pessimistic um, uh, uh, sentiments. Our view right now in this market is that it's complete and total malpractice for people in our shoes um, to ignore the fact that we are living in a period of time in which, uh, and excuse me, I'm trying to find where I, where I put out my major conclusion. Um, 
Bah, bah, bah. The next 20 years could be wildly opportunistic, exciting, and beneficial for those who believe in profits, cash flows, innovation, freedom, market mechanisms, health, prosperity, quality of life. They're all on the move. And we may be in early innings of how much humanity can grow. That, to me, needs to be very paramount in the worldview of people managing money. And at the same time, sec the second sentence not contradictory, but somehow a need of juxtaposition with the first. That the next 20 years could be wildly challenging when we look at the downward pressure on growth that excessive debt is likely to create, the unwinding of a zombie economy, a lot of zombie companies that the Fed has kept alive and facilitated with excessive interventions, the uh, 10 to 20 years of dealing with market distortions, that are made um, possible by the two of those data points I read earlier, 0% interest rates and a blowout size of, federal of the uh, Fed's balance sheet. Um, there is nothing easy in this, but there is nothing uh, available to good investors that will give them the free and easy path crystal ball. They uh, must simply rise to the challenge of juxtaposing two sets of reality with their risk tolerance, with their liquidity need, with their appetites, with their timelines. You know, the timeline thing is important. You know, what if someone's 60 and they're, and they're ready to retire? They're ready to, to, to not need the earned income anymore and to have financial comforts from a portfolio to go along with whatever their, their next phase of life goals may be. I just talked about 15 years. In, in the next 15, they're only going to be 75. Some people are just getting started at that time with the next phase, with, with this phase of life. Uh, to me, when I meet with a 60-year-old, I think that I might have two or three, you know, close to three 15-year uh, periods to go. What about 40-year-olds? You know, I'm not 40 anymore. I'm closer to 50 than 40, but I'm still in my 40s. How many 15-year periods does someone of my age have? And now uh, there's financial resources, there's financial wealth, there's financial uh, responsibilities that this age demographic has, and yet they have multiple 15-year periods ahead. And just in the last 15 years, look at the change. Look at what has taken place when it comes to things like interest rates, geopolitics, um, the, the debt levels in the society and, of course, these innovations and, and, and uh, evolutions that we benefit from. Uh, I think that uh, people who believe that we are in some kind of absolutely rare and never-before-seen period of change miss the point. All of history is a study of change, and everything we're dealing with now in the present is all we're doing now are the changes that are going to bring us from the past to the future. And it doesn't become the past till you're in the future, but that's what the present is. And for an investor, that means something. It means that they have to, in the present, have a portfolio that looks to the past to understand various patterns and realities and principles and, and historical occurrences. Um, and they have to have a view towards the future of, of what is going to take place that could impact them positively and negatively, and account for a portfolio, account for a financial strategy that brings a lot together. And, and, and of course, you know, we believe 
that there's a dividend uh, bias that comes out of that for good investors. But that's not really my point today. My point today is just to not get caught on the wrong side of either of these traps. To not look at 15 years of data and say, oh my gosh, everything's going to hell. And not look at 15 years of data and say, oh my gosh, we're just another step away for solving for all of mankind's woes. Um, both things are, are excessive. Uh, the reality is that there's a lot of difficult challenges ahead that inform our view of interest rates and inflation and growth expectations and P.E. ratios and risk calibration. And there's a lot of positive things out there that influence, for one thing, our incentives, our motivation, even our demographics, people living longer. You know, all of this has to be factored in. And so that's what we do with the Bonson Group. That's what I want you to understand this week as you listen to and view and hopefully read the Dividend Cafe. There's some charts there I'd love you to see. Uh, my goodness, uh, a Monday. No one's going to be talking about uh, Evergrande and this Chinese uh, real estate thing. I'm not sure we're going to talk about it in 15 days. Uh, we're not going to talk about it in 15 years. But my gosh, we're going to have a lot to talk about. And we sure do these last 15 and I hope one of the things you'll be talking about is the benefits that the Dividend Cafe brought to you and that uh, the principles I talk about in Dividend Cafe that we execute on daily at the Bonson Group have brought to our clients who I care about most. Thank you for listening to and watching and reading the Dividend Cafe. Have a wonderful weekend, and we appreciate your efforts to spread this podcast and video far and wide. Have a wonderful weekend. Fight on, beat the beavers. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonson Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.